Every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world, reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. is an enthusiastic, dynamic, rural entrepreneur in the worlds of both business and food. Therese is the president and chief people leader of Ladder HR Solutions, Inc. She's a human resources executive with 25 years of experience on a mission to instill innovative people practices and processes in dynamic, high-growth companies before people problems become unwieldy. Passionate about creating change in the HR function, Therese also mentors newly minted HR professionals. Prior to launching Ladder HR Solutions, Therese held several corporate HR leadership positions in logistics, manufacturing, IT, and professional services organizations, as well as teaching and guest lecturing for HR programs at Fanshawe College in London. Therese graduated from the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Business with the Advanced Diploma in Human Resources Management. She also holds an Honours Certification in Management and a Diploma in Accounting. And about the food. Therese is a passionate plant-based foodie with a Diploma in Holistic Nutrition. As a registered holistic nutritionist, Therese counsels people who are transitioning to a plant-based diet. She also runs a seven-day plant-powered cleanse program and teaches dairy-free cheese making from her home kitchen. She's a bit nerdy about being vegan. From being a former co-owner of a large yoga studio to making food for sale in her commercial kitchen and teaching people to grow their own food, Therese demonstrates a wide range of interest and capabilities in the field of holistic health. 
Therese graduated from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition in 2009 with a diploma in holistic nutrition. Okay, Therese, where do you hail from? Where in rural or remote Canada are you? Well, Shauna, I am about two hours west of Toronto in southwestern Ontario on a, on a small acreage, not even an acre. We have um, three quarters of eight, eight tenths of an acre that we, uh, we farm. Farm is not the right word. It's our homestead in southwestern Ontario. Fabulous. Well, you hinted a little bit about some of the work that you do. You wear two hats. And I'm going to ask a really big question to start things off. How did your professional and personal life, maybe together, evolve to you being a two-time entrepreneur, a double entrepreneur at, at at present? <laughs> That's a great question. And it's a little bit interesting because 15 years ago, even 20 years ago, well, 15 years ago, even, if you had told me I was going to be an entrepreneurial soul, I would have laughed and laughed and thought, why do I want to do that? I was attached to the paycheck that came to me regularly. So it, it's kind of an interesting journey. I started out out of high school, and I'm going way, way back here, but just, just for a quick minute. I was that soul in high school who was bored, so I didn't do post-secondary education at the time. I became a waitress. I loved it. I waited tables. I was a server. I had fabulous experiences doing that. We did that in southwestern Ontario, in Strathroy, actually. Um, but at some point, actually, an old, old boyfriend's mother called me and said, hey, Trace, can you speak French? I said, well, of course. She said, well, come on in and and talked to my VP, he needs a French secretary. And I said, well, I can't type. And she said, well, that's okay. So they hired me. <laughs> and I didn't know how to type, but I learned to type. Right? And, and so that kind of launched me into, well, wow, maybe I should be working in an office. So I worked there for a couple of years before I realized, you know, since I speak French, probably I could be making more than minimum wage. So I started to look in the papers and I found a an ad that said bilingual bookkeeper wanted. So I called them up back in the day and said, well, you know what? I know nothing about bookkeeping, but I'm bilingual. They said, hey, come on in for an interview. So I came in and they hired me and they taught me bookkeeping. From there, I went on to earn a diploma in accounting and then went on to do my CGA. I did not finish my CGA. I got to about my fourth level and then realized as I was sitting in an office crunching numbers and splitting shares off for a new company that we were creating, that boy, the people out there were having way more fun than I was having. So I thought, I don't want to do this. And the company that I was with at the time, they had grown substantially. So I kind of knocked on the owner's door and said, hey, you know what? I really want to do this anymore. I, I want to do your HR. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're good at that. You keep doing it. And I'm like, mm, okay. Waited about another month and came back to them and said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going to do this anymore. I would like to do HR. So they sent me to school and I learned HR. I was very fortunate and I was with a very um, fast moving, dynamic, leading edge company that allowed me to create an HR department for them, that allowed me to use all the best practices I was, I was reading about, that I was understanding about. And... Um, yeah, so so that's kind of how I got my start in HR. I mean, there was a lot in between there with with accounting and whatnot. 
And then I guess I was there about nine years and there was a hiccup in my work. And I thought, you know what, maybe I want to do something different. So I went to school, did a two-year program in nutrition. Uh, sorry, a one-year program in nutrition and ended up being a registered holistic nutritionist. And this is where people always ask, well, why? Why did you choose nutrition? Well, I had, I had read an article in the paper, in the paper back in the days when I was actually reading paper, right around 19, <laughs> no, 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 1999. And it was about how a certain food product affected the body. And I thought, that can't be. What I eat is what I eat. But I was having some issues at the time, so the product out of my body. And lo and behold, didn't everything change completely? So I thought, well, that's crazy. So then I did a little more reading and took a few more things out of my diet and did a little more reading and took a few things out of my diet. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, I need to go to school to get some letters behind my name, because at this point, I'm really excited to tell the world what I'd learned. So I became whole food plant-based right around that time, about 20 years ago. It, it took, we, we went vegetarian first and then slowly moved into being vegan. But during that transition is when I went to school and became a plant-based nutritionist. So then I owned, I was co-owner of a yoga studio health center. Wow. And I was consulting in HR in the city of London. So <laughs> I had sort of these two big balls I was juggling. Pulled out of HR for a little while because I thought, no, 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 I want to do nutrition. Turns out, yeah, it's kind of hard to earn a living in nutrition. So came mm. back to HR, left nutrition on its side, kind of, for about 10 years. But then, you know, you get to an age where the body starts doing different things and you get reinterested in nutrition. So I got reinterested in it. We started a, a company called Milcor, M-I-L-C-O-E-U-R, which translated means a thousand hearts. It's a wellness company. So my husband and I partner in this wellness company. I do plant-based nutrition classes. I help people transition to plant-based diets. And I do something that's really necessary in this world, <laughs> and, which is a um, dairy-free cheese class. And we do a seven-day plant-powered cleanse. So that's sort of my one life. And that was going very well, tickety-boo. In the meantime, in my day job, I was VP of HR in an organization. And I was flying to the southern states quite regularly. I remember one year I was there for 13 weeks in total. And I would go to Toronto and I would go to Detroit. And in the meantime, you know, our children kind of grew up and we had grandchildren. And my husband at this point was consulting. So I thought, man, I want his lifestyle. I want to be able to do whatever I want, when I want. So I gave them notice and I hung out my shingle. So now I'm a consultant in both food and in HR. So, and I'm in the country, meaning the countryside. So here's the funny thing. So we talk about, you know, rural women entrepreneurship. We started a vegan business in a small town of less than 2,000 people in southwestern Ontario. Well, you can imagine that didn't go very well. <laughs> we're in the middle of farmland. You know, we've got dairy around us. We've got chickens around us. And we're over here going, hey, <laughs> Look at us, we're plant-based. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, gosh. Um, so, so that was a fun experience. We just sort of dwindled that down to the point where we're just doing seven-day plant-powered cleanses now. And that works because everybody understands the reality of resetting your body every once in a while. So that's fine. That business is rolling. You know, we had joined the Chamber of Commerce in our nearby community. 
Um, and, and again, you know, not a lot of interest. So when I jumped into HR, I thought, all right, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do the same thing. So I was working out of my home. I had one employee pretty much right away. Um, joined the, the small town chamber of commerce and had the same experience only with a mainstream type business. There's a lot of businesses in our community that can use our services. So there wasn't a lot of interest. So that's when I moved my business to London. So, you know, when we talk about struggles and situations about rural entrepreneurism, oftentimes we find we have to move our businesses just for the, to get the people in the door, to find the right market. And for me, it was finding the right market. And interestingly enough, now I have a gazillion rural clients, but my business location is smack dab in London, Ontario. So I don't know what happened in that period. I don't, don't really know what happened in that period. So, so my day business is this, you know, ladder HR solutions where we, we solve people problems, essentially. But I'm speaking to you right now out of my home because there's nobody in the office today because it's beautiful outside. And we have very, we have very much a flexible work environment where you can choose to come to the office if you want to, or you can work from home. And during the summer, I tell my team that, you know what, I've generally worked from home because even just prior to this interview, I was out in the garden. So aside from Milcor, then we have this micro vegan homestead that we're building into something that in the next couple of years will be an education center for city folk who want to know how to grow their own food. And, but in order to do that, I need to be home. So I was out in the garden at six o'clock this morning and then went for a bike ride and then went back to the garden and then came in and started up, you know, my team huddle for the day that we have to do, uh, that we choose to do, we don't have to do. And then we, um, I had a meeting and then I rushed out to the garden for about 20 minutes and then I came back. So this is my life now. I have managed because of where I live and because of what I do to integrate my very mainstream human resources business with my micro vegan homestead and my plant-based business. So this is like complete um, remote work life integration. Did I answer your question? I think I answered your question. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I have so many questions though. Um, So the first question I have, and it's a really simple one. What was the very first thing that you removed from your diet when you started to uh, realize you wanted to be a uh, vegetarian and then eventually vegan? Because you said, I removed one thing from my body and then, oh, lo and behold, I started to remove others. So what was that one item? It was chicken. It was conventional chicken. So when I removed conventional chicken from my diet, so we had... we had we have five kids between us and several of them were living with us. So we removed conventional chicken, put in organic chicken and 95% of the symptoms I was experiencing went away. And I thought it was, I didn't even really connect it. So it happened. I did that for three months and then I'm like, Oh my gosh. But then, you know, when you're feeding that many children, several of them boys, it got very expensive. So I put conventional chicken back in our diet. All of my symptoms were back in a snap within a week. So then we removed it again and just decided we're just not going to eat chicken. And that's, that, that's, that was that one thing that led me to start to research how food affects the body. And slowly, very quickly, we became vegetarian. And then very slowly over the next four years, we became vegan and no turn it back. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I'm healthier now at 58 than I was at 39. 100%. You're not the first person that's told me something like that. 
And I'm sure you're not the only person that you've ever met, right? Like, I mean, that is why you do what you do is is because you see the value in transforming your body and, and your health with what you put in it. What about remote work? So did you, were you a proponent of remote work before the pandemic or did the pandemic kind of force your hand and and you think wow this this can really work and and this is a catalyst to my perfect life or you know close to perfect life i'm going to kind of mix it up with the answer because i'm a huge proponent of the fact that when you're in the same room with someone you feel the energy you become more collaborative and more creative i'm also a huge proponent of work from home <laughs> because i think when you have the right team like i do there, there is no issue. So, and I've always been a, a much bigger proponent over sort of the overarching umbrella is to have a work-life balance. And we require so much of our employees these days that then to turn around and ask them to drive a half hour back and forth to work when we don't have to anymore, when we understand. And, and with today's fuel prices, just doesn't make sense. So, so beforehand, I was in a, one of my organizations. Um, I used to let my team work from home one day a week. And Let's just say that upper management didn't like that because our team was the only team in the entire organization who could do that. Um, so they kept telling me I had to stop that. And I kept saying, no. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, so I've always been, a, I, I think I'm the biggest proponent of a hybrid workforce because I think sometimes we do need to come together. So for example, we have monthly team huddles and everyone tries to come in and what explodes from those huddles is so much more powerful than what we can do virtually. Now, during the pandemic, we did what everybody else did. We had virtual rooms where we would maybe be working together. And it was, it was almost the same thing. But I don't know. I also like people and I like to be around people. I would go to Walmart during the pandemic just to be around people because there was no one in my office. <laughs> you are an HR professional and now you have your own organization. You are an HR company. And is it the case of, you know, sometimes the cobbler's kids have no shoes, meaning you think that you know the best way to form a team, but it's also a work in progress for you? Yeah, I was afraid you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of both. So... It's really eye-opening to have 10 employees because, and to be responsible for 10 employees or more. I think I have more than that now. But, and there, there was a huge shift I had to make. So when I was the uh, VP of HR in a 300-person company, I didn't fully integrate the advice that I was, didn't fully understand why the senior, like the C-suite and the senior leadership, the owners couldn't fully integrate the advice I was giving. Well, now I can. <laughs> because <laughs> you know it's like dieting it's easy in theory and difficult in practice we all know what to do we just it's difficult to practice it so this is the same thing so but i recognized early on that in order for for ladder hr to be successful and for me to be successful and to build a team and to have a team that really wants to work together i need to walk my talk so we have been walking our talk and we have, we've created an organization where 
I don't have any more rights than anyone else. So, so what does that mean? That means that everybody gets unlimited vacation time, not unlimited vacation pay, because, you know, we're not that big yet, but everybody gets unlimited vacation time. We've built an organization where there's a very, very strong bond of trust, which is why we can do this. We've built an organization where the people who are in client-facing positions are have, have extraordinary communication skills and communicate back to me. And, and we've built sort of a back, a, a secondary team. So we have somebody on our team who's going to be off most of the summer. And we've known that since March. So in March, we started chatting with the client and we've put in the summer team for all of her clients, fully understanding that they'll come out in September and then they'll go on and do something else. Also understanding though, because we've been, built this kind of organization, she's always going to be available if, if crisis happens there will be a text or a phone call and she will come to the table because that's the kind of team we built. Having said that, unless someone's building's burning down, we're not calling, right? There's a boundary to be respected. I love that. And that has taken, I'm sure, lots of trial and error. Like you say, now, I love that you are vulnerable about the fact that you can say, you know, you've learned a lot through your own experience as an entrepreneur, owning your own company is different than running an HR department. It's actually two jobs, really. Like you're running an HR department, you're also running a company. And you have the other company in your home that you're also running. (laughs) That's, you know, those are a lot of balls in the air. But it sounds like, and, and maybe I'm wrong, that's kind of the way you work best is having lots of things to keep you interested. You mentioned that now when you have a physical space in a, a larger city, you have more rural clients. How do you how do you explain that? Well, what happened is we have a very strong strategic alliance with a consultant who has a lot of rural clients and brings us in. It was I think it was not by chance. I mean, we've known each other for a very long time. And then when I hung out my shingle, we started chatting about how we could support one another. And um, so from a strategic HR perspective, Ladder joined his team and his team is virtually all, not anymore. There are a lot of rural clients and then rural clients, rural companies speak to one another. And then we get word of mouth referrals and here we are again. Do you think that rural entrepreneurs have unique needs? In the area of recruitment, 100%. And in the area of work-life balance, absolutely. Because it is very difficult to get people, to, to hire people to work in a rural organization because most of your team is still coming from the larger cities. That's where, that's where you're competing for employees. So when you're rural, my experience has been that you want people to fit your culture. So you're bringing in people from the city into your country culture. And of course, you started there in the country. Therefore, you had rural employees first and foremost. And then you bring in city employees. And sometimes it works. And sometimes there are hiccups. But the biggest issue when you get very remote, and, and, and by very remote, I'm not talking huge. I'm talking 40 minutes out of London. You get 40 minutes out of London. It's very, very difficult to hire talent, to hire people. Who will come drive that far? 
specifically in this new hybrid workforce, work from home type of workplace. Yeah, I think that that is what people are looking for. Young people, I think specifically in any kind of technology-based skill set, folks are so used to be able to being able to go anywhere they want and having the world at their feet, basically, you know, like people are courting folks who have a technology mindset or skill set, rather. You're competing with really big companies to get those folks. And if you don't provide a really great work life balance and a remote workforce, you know, that's, that's gotta be a really tall order for any rural community or rural, um, business. It is. And there's a little bit more to it even. Even those businesses that can't have a remote workforce, like construction businesses. So now your head office is half an hour, an hour outside of London. You're competing for talent that's all in London because the rural workforce isn't strong enough to support a growing company sometimes. And you're asking these people to drive to your location. So a lot of it too, though, Shauna, is about marketing. Because what what sometimes these it's difficult to get candidates, even though they don't understand that, you know what, you may not have to drive to the rural location because the, the site that you're at is in London or just outside of London or on the other side of London, or heck, maybe it's in Toronto. Who knows? So it, sometimes it's not even a question of getting them to drive to the office every day. But I think that the marketing, the positioning of the ads and the recruitment philosophies need to change a little bit. We, we need to meet employees where they're at in any market and in any industry right now. We don't, we don't really have a choice. I've talked about this recently on another podcast about there is a huge um, drive by the federal government uh, to increase targets. Well, they have lofty targets for immigration. And we know, however, that in some rural communities, many, I would, I would venture to say, that's my opinion, many do not have the settlement services in place to, and, and the, the structural programs in order for rural businesses that are scaling to get skilled workers to come in and, and do what they need them to do. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I imagine that can be an issue when you are recruiting folks for specific roles? I, I'm seeing a lot of the smaller communities have organizations like Community Futures. And those organizations are very helpful. So I, I would say that the, although the infrastructure maybe is not there to the level it needs to be yet, there are a lot of community members banding together in industry and in the support services to make it happen and to help the local businesses scale up. So, I mean, it, it's a little bit more of a challenge, yes, for sure. And also it's a challenge because new Canadians don't want to land in Alvinston. They've never heard of it. They want to land in Toronto. Even London, I, I once hired a new Canadian who, who told me that London is too small of a town. He had to go find a small city. So he moved to Toronto because it was a small city. <laughs> Right. So yeah. In my head, I'm like, whoa, a small city. And all I can think of is I can't figure out why my daughter likes to live in downtown Toronto because it's so huge and so interesting trying to get there. Right. So it is just I think for a lot of people, it's a it's a shift in mindset. But no, I do see a lot of local support starting to build. Absolutely. 
I think there, it might have been lacking when the skilled trades crisis began to hit years ago, but really things are building quite beautifully. You've had quite a interesting, unique professional path. Do you have another career in you that you are just dying to do? <laughs> huh, interesting. <laughs> so, so you know what? Once I'm in a career, I will set goals, but I have never had a goal to have a career. So this is going to sound a little bit odd, but for example, when I left high school, I was so tired of school that I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I became a waitress, then I worked in a store and just loved it. Didn't intend on having a career until my ex-boyfriend's mother called me and said, hey, you speak French, can you type? And I said, no. Then the book, the accounting career, and I'm not a full-fledged accountant. I didn't get that far. That also happened by happenstance because all I could think was, you know what? I can probably make more money because I can speak French because I am bilingual. And so then that happened. And so I just kind of bumped along in it. The HR happened just because I saw a need where I was. The nutrition happened because I felt changes in my body that I got so excited about. I needed to tell the world. And I thought that in order to tell the world, I had to have letters behind my name. So I'm not going to say no, but if it is, I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what it is yet. I mean, I've thought about, and I don't even believe I'm going to say this in a podcast, but I've thought about politics, maybe. Wow. Love it. Because I've helped on the campaign trail a couple of times. And, and, you know, there are some issues that I'm very passionate about that I don't think are being well served by our current government or any government we'd ha- we've had in power to date. So, and I'm a big proponent that I don't want to complain about it unless I'm willing to do something about it. So I don't complain about it. I talk about it in an, in an educational and exploratory fashion, but I don't complain about it. So that's, that's kind of been in the back of my head, but I don't know. We'll see. You talked about issues with the government and you talked about things that you're passionate about. Are there any guidelines with your organization? Because it's your own company. You, you get to make the rules. Yes, there's one. <laughs> and I, I will tell you what it is. We will not work with any organization that kills animals or processes the raw material. I would love to work with all vegan companies, but that's just not realistic in Southwestern Ontario. So we'll work with companies that, you know, use butter and, and dairy products. Even that, I hesitate to say that. Like we really, and we don't have any food industry clients other than, other than a dairy-free cheese client. So we tend to stay away from those and we tend to stay away from known heavy industrial polluters. See, this is what I love. I I love this about you and your company and your values and your tenaciousness to work with the people that you believe share values. And that is commendable. No matter how you feel about food, the fact that you are willing to draw that line in the sand with your company and and only attract people that feel the same way, the will to do that. I think it's really admirable. Well, well, thank you. I do want to clarify something though. During the getting to know each other process for consultants to come on board, whether they come on board as employees or contractors, we talk about who I am because 
I am completely authentic in the workplace and I have had people leave. <laughs> I did scare one person away. I'm like, okay, well, that didn't work. All right. I guess not meant to be, right? So, so that happens. I don't have a company full of plant-based people and, and I don't need to. I need to have a company full of people who respect my lifestyle mm. and that I respect them. That's that's the key because the reality is that for 40 years of my life, I ate meat, I ate animal products. I'd be very hypocritical to say, I don't like you because you do that. That's not who I am. But people who come into our organization need to respect the fact. So when we have company functions, they're plant-based, right? Sure, yeah. Um, so, so we talk about that. We also talk during the getting to know each other phase about the fact that I'm a, a big believer in manifestation. So I believe that I need to have a strategic plan for my organization and I believe I need to have growth goals. And I believe that my team's goals need to cascade from my organizational goals. But I also believe that that is augmented through manifestation by putting out to the universe where I think we're going and then letting the universe and our hard work bring it together. So I talk about that. And, and I think that's where I scared someone. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's not my kind of company. And don't get me wrong, we're not all woohoo, and that, that's not what this is about. Yeah. But, but certainly there's an element of the law of attraction. There's an yeah. element of, of spirituality in our organization. Do we, do we represent that way to clients? We do. They just don't know it. How we represent to clients is that we're kind and we're compassionate. The three really strong, solid values behind Ladder HR is compliance because we're HR and everything has to be right. And our goal is to mitigate risk in any organization and help people problems, but then followed very, very strongly by compliance and caring or sorry, compassion and caring. So that trifecta people who come into ladder need to be 100% solid on this trifecta. And I mean, so far so good. We've, we have, I, I have been, I'm so blessed to have the team members that are on board. They are fantastic they're responsible, they're communicative, they're communicative, they're caring, they're kind, they're fun. We have loads of fun because you know what? We all work really hard. So if we're going to work really hard, we need to have the balance and have the real fun with it. So I've been, I'm just so blessed by the team that's come around to support the goal of Ladder. It's, it's really been, it's been an interesting journey and a lot of fun and we just keep moving on. I don't know where it's going to land, but we just keep moving forward. Well, you've attracted them. Obviously, you've attracted the right people. So that's very inspiring. Any last words? Years ago, when I was in my 30s and even my 40s, I've always had self-confidence, but I've never had the boldness to go out on my own. And I really, truly wish I would have done it a lot sooner. That is one thing that I would like to tell people that, you know what, if, if, if there's something in the back of your mind that you think, hey, I might like to get involved in that someday... Why not actually just tiptoe into it first? If, if, just to get an idea to see if you're going to like it, you know? That's, I, th- I think that's pretty much it. I am so excited to hear what you're going to do next. <laughs> but I am very inspired by what you're currently doing and all the things that you've done in the past. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Shauna. This has been a pleasure and an honor to chat with you today and, and a lot of fun.
like this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imagine a Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Temp Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of Indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time...